All right, take your Bibles, turn to the book of James, James chapter number 5. And uh, coming to the end of our series today, which is always a little bit bittersweet, uh, for me at least. I, uh, I love getting into a book of the Bible and just uh, again, just going verse by verse through it. And again, I learned so much in the study, and I hope you, you, you've grown and you've learned so much too as we worked our way through the book of James. And this afternoon, we come to the final two verses. Uh, again, the sweet part is that we get to begin a new series, which, again, I always look forward to that. And I'll just save what that is because we probably won't be starting that until the beginning of the new year. Um, probably preach something else next week uh, that's unrelated to this or that. Um, but we'll be finishing this. Take a look at verse number 19 to 20, and we'll finish out our sermon series through James this afternoon with these two verses right here. Verse number 19, you're going to look at it with me in your Bibles. It says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and God, we are grateful, Lord, for this opportunity just to come before your word once again. God, we are such a privileged people, God. Lord, we have been so blessed, God. Lord, you have been so good to us. Lord, just allowing us to be able to gather, allowing us just to, Lord, feast upon, Lord, the the riches of your word. And God, I pray you would just be with this preaching time. I pray you'd help me, Lord, just to clearly and faithfully communicate your word. Lord, help me to say nothing more, nothing less, God, than what you would have me to say. And God, I pray, Lord, you'd speak to hearts. I pray, God, that you would, uh, Lord, just to work in hearts of those that are here this afternoon. God, I pray you just give attentiveness, Lord, I pray, and just uh, help us, Lord, all to be fruitful hearers, Lord, to hear and to apply the truth we hear. God, be glorified, be honored in this sermon, I pray. Lord, I pray you just uh, just take all the sermons, Lord. This has been such a, such a rich uh, sermon series, uh, going through the book of James, one of my favorite uh, books to read through and, and now to preach through. Lord, just uh, thank you, God, for these past couple of months we've been able to work through the book of James. And, Lord, just we look forward to what's in store for the future, new series that are ahead. And, Lord, just I pray you would help us to, uh, or not not be just hearers of the word, as we've read about in James, but uh, to ultimately be doers of the word of God. And, Lord, I pray that that be true of us. Lord, may you be honored, Lord, in, in the preaching of your word and, and also in our response to your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. All right. Well, like I was saying, again, it is always a little bit uh, bittersweet. Uh, just uh, it's always, you know, uh, nice to be able to move on to a new series and to be able to, you know, take a look at another book of the Bible and already looking forward to. Again, I have in mind what that is. And again, I'll, I'll let you know about that later on, probably at the beginning of the new year. Um, over the next couple of weeks, things are going to look a little bit different because next week we have. Uh, again, I'll probably just do a, kind of an unrelated sermon. Uh, again, we'll see. And then we'll have caroling the next week, candlelight the next week, youth service the next week. Uh, so got a lot of things coming up. Then we have Vision Sunday the next week uh, with an afternoon service. And then that's usually when I go over a lot of the stuff with the church, looking back and then looking forward to, to the new year. Uh, so it'll be a little bit before we start a new series, but we will get there. And again, the, the bitter part is that I've loved preaching the book of James, and I hope that you've loved hearing the book of James. Um, I hope you've grown. I hope you've learned. I hope you've been convicted uh, through the preaching of God's word. I hope you've been challenged. I hope you've been comforted. I hope you've been edified. I hope you've been a fruitful hearer of the word of God. And if there is anything that we have learned from the book of James, it is this. 
It is that true faith affects every area of life. All right, true faith affects every area of life. I've entitled this series Authentic Faith. Again, that's truly the faith, again, that I think every single one of us would desire to live out and desire to be seen within our lives. It is a faith that works. It is a faith uh, that prays. It is a faith that seeks the Lord. Um, you know, it, it's the faith that does many of the things that we've, we've talked about over the past couple of months. Uh, the book of James teaches us that belief affects behavior. It teaches us that doctrine should always lead to duty. And it also shows us that the truth of God's word ought to always lead to transformation within our lives. And I hope you've seen that as we've worked our way through this incredible book of the Bible here. And this afternoon, I want to take a look at these verses here, verse 19 and verse number 20. And I want to take a look at a topic, uh, again, I've entitled Faith and Restoration. Faith and Restoration. Again, we understand because we've dealt with this already, but the book of James is primarily written to believers in Jesus Christ. Again, it is believers who are to read this book, who are to glean and to, and to learn and to grow from the reading through this book. And James uses that terminology there. He uses that phrase that is common not only here but throughout the New Testament, the phrase, my brethren. And whenever you see that phrase, my brethren, again, it's a reference to believers in Jesus Christ. It is a reference to the household of God, to the family of God, to those who have been born not only once but twice, again, born again by the Spirit of God, and those who have been adopted into the family of God by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And in our passage today, James deals with an often overlooked uh, but a very important ministry that we have as believers within the family of God, one to another. And that is the ministry of restoration. The ministry of restoration. You see, whenever you got saved, you entered into the family of God. It is a forever family. It is a family that you not only enjoy here, but you enjoy throughout all eternity. You were made a child of God the moment you repented of your sin and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And being a part of the family of God brings great blessings, it brings great privileges, but it also brings great responsibilities with it as well. A couple of months back, maybe this was last year, I did a series looking at the one another commands in the New Testament. There's many of them. And anyone who's wondering how to serve Christ or what to do for the Lord, just go study out the one another commands and then live your life trying to, uh, trying to do those. But the one another commands remind us, again, that we have not only a responsibility to the Lord, we have a responsibility towards one another. All right? There's no such thing as, you know, or, or there ought not to be such a thing as just a lone ranger Christian who just lives, who, who just lives out on his own. You know, apart from a community of believers. God never designed us to live as lone rangers. God designed believers to live within the context of this community right here, and that is the local church. And this is what God has instituted. This is what God has designed for us, again, for our strengthening, for, you know, our challenging, for our spiritual growth. And one of, the, one of the important things that comes with recognizing that there are responsibilities towards other believers in the Christian life, it helps me to get my eyes off myself. And it helps me to realize that I have been called to a life of service, not only to Jesus Christ, but really the outworking of my service to Christ is usually seen in my service towards others. Isaac just read earlier, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6, that we are to do good to all men. 
But then it says at the end, especially to them that are of the household of faith. Who is that? Especially to fellow believers. Be good to all men. Do good things to all men. Serve all men. But especially serve the household of faith. Especially serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the Christ life. Again, that is the life that we have been called to as believers. And one of the ministries we have, one of the responsibilities we have is found here in this text, and that is the ministry of restoration. The ministry of restoring an erring brother, a brother who has erred from the truth or a brother who has erred into sin. It is part. It is our responsibility. It is a family responsibility as children of God. We are our brother's keeper. Okay? We recognize that we have res- responsibilities towards one another to help one another keep from drifting in the wrong direction, drifting into sin, or drifting into false doctrine. And that is a responsibility God has given us. So the first thing I want us to consider this afternoon is the need for spiritual restoration. The need for spiritual restoration. Take a look at verse 19. The Bible says, brethren, again we see, we're reminded here, speaking to believers, it says, if any of you... Again, speaking to believers, so within the context of the household of faith, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth. Now notice here, we find here the possibility of a believer wandering from the path of truth, whether that's doctrinally or whether that is morally. The word used here to err means to wander away. It means to fall away. It means to move away from the truth. What is the truth? The truth of God's word. Again, we, we, there's a possibility for any one of us. Again, if, if we do not, you know, if we are not on guard, if we are not, you know, intentional about living out the Christian life, we may, fi- we may find ourselves drifting in the wrong direction. Drifting into a ditch on this side or drifting into a ditch on this side, drifting into sin or drifting into compromise or drifting into some, again, some doctrinal teaching that does not line up with the word of God. And the Bible here shows us not only the possibility, but also because of the possibility of a believer erring from the truth, the necessity of, again, other believers watching out amongst themselves and helping those brothers and sisters they see erring from the truth. You know, in a perfect world, this ministry wouldn't be needed. Again, if, if this was heaven, you know, all of, whenever we get to heaven, guess what's going to happen? All of our theology is going to be right, you know, and, and we're going to be we're going to be sinlessly perfect. You know, no more sin, no more flesh, no more sin nature, you know, no more deception. But we right now again, we live in a world of deception, and if we're not careful, we ourselves could be deceived. If we're not Bereans, if we're not testing everything by the word of God, if we're not, again, if we're not treating the word of God as our final authority and proving all things, like the Bible says, testing the spirits to see whether they be of God and holding fast to that which is good, we may just find ourselves wandering away from the truth. You know, we don't live in a perfect world. Again, we all we all know that this world is not heaven. We live in a world that is marred by sin. We live in a world that is filled with, with the deceptive devices of, of Satan. And even as believers, as the song says, we are prone to wander, we are prone to leave the God we love. And even though at the moment of salvation I received a new nature that loves God, 
that loves righteousness, that, that pursues the Lord, that seeks after the truth. The Bible still teaches that a believer still has their old sinful nature uh, again uh, with them. And that, that old sinful nature, again, lives alongside this new spiritual nature that I received as a Christian. And the, the old fleshly nature oppose all, opposes all that which is good and that which is spiritual. While, like Paul said, again, the, the, the spiritual nature, the new nature I received from God, it delights in the law of God after the inward man. That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul said. That there's a war that rages. There's a war within the heart of every Christian between the spirit and the and between the flesh. Between the spirit and between the flesh. And because of that, in sin and deception is something we must constantly be on guard and fight against. You know, the believer has three great spiritual enemies within this life that are going to oppose everything spiritually, that are going to try to draw the believer away from the Lord, away from God, away from the truth. And the first great enemy of the Christian is the enemy of the world. I'm not speaking of the physical world. I'm speaking of the world system. The world system in which we live that is ruled, again, by this, by this antichrist spirit that is opposed to God, that is opposed to holiness, that is opposed to the truth. This world system characterized by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. As believers, we must recognize that we don't belong here. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. I have a higher citizenship. Again, that goes beyond this world. I have a heavenly citizenship. And because of that, the Bible tells me to set my affection on things above and not on things on the earth. That I am a new creature in Christ. I am a citizen of heaven. I am in the world, but I am not of the world. I am a pilgrim and a stranger that is passing through this world on my way to be with my Savior in heaven. So I, again, I, I recognize that because of that, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am living this life in enemy territory. All right, Again, I, I'm not living in, in the Garden of Eden. I'm not living in paradise. I'm not living in, again, some, some utopia. I'm living in a, in, in a sin-cursed world. I'm living in a world where Satan is very real and he is doing as much as he can to keep people blinded from the truth of the gospel. We are living in a world where there is an antichrist spirit that opposes all that is, all that is godly. And we also recognize that as we, as we approach the return of Jesus Christ, the Bible makes it clear that evil men and seducers show wax worse and worse according to 1 Timothy. Meaning that deception is going to grow again, as we approach the return of Jesus Christ. I believe there's many verses we could go to, especially within the pastoral epistles, that remind us that as we approach the return of Jesus Christ, before Christ takes his church out of the world, that, that the apostasy we're seeing is going to grow and grow and grow and grow. And because of that, Christians especially need to be Bereans, need to be on guard, need to test everything by the word of God. Let me share a couple of, of references with you from the pastoral epistles, and we've I, I preached through these before when we went through First and Second Timothy, but the Bible makes it clear in First Timothy chapter number four. Uh, what I shared with you was actually from Second Timothy three, but First Timothy chapter four, 
1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created, to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So again, we're reminded here that as we approach the latter times, again, there will be a departure from the faith. What is the faith? The faith once delivered unto the saints. The faith that is contained in the word of God. And the Bible makes it clear people will depart from the faith and they will give heed. They will pay attention to. They will listen. They will embrace seducing spirits. They will embrace doctrines of devils. You could say doctrines of, of demons. In 2 Timothy chapter number 3, the Bible makes it clear in verse 1. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And there's, there's a whole listing of things that will that, characterize the, the latter days. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, un, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers. And, and the list goes on and on and on. It describes them as having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. The Bible says, from such turn away. Verse 13, I read this but earlier, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, it says, For the time will come, and this is following Paul's admonition to Timothy, Timothy, preach the word. Whatever you do, Timothy, here's what you need to do. You need to preach the word, preach the word, preach the word, in season and out of season. Why is that? Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So the Bible makes it clear, again, Paul instructs Timothy that you need to preach the word because there is a time coming when men will turn away from the truth. They will close their ears to the truth. They will not want to hear and, and listen to the sound doctrine of the word of God. And they will accumulate to themselves. They will heap to themselves teachers who will itch their ears. They have itching ears, meaning, again, they, 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 they want to hear something. Instead of hearing what they need to hear, they find teachers who tell them what they want to hear. That's very dangerous. And the Bible says, again, that that is an indicator of, of the last days. People will be turned from the truth. They'll be turned unto fables. So we understand, again, that the world system that we live in is an enemy to the Christian. We don't belong here. We don't, again, we're, we're pilgrims passing through. And this world system is, is, is opposed to Christ, is opposed to the truth. But there's also another enemy. Not only are we living in enemy territory, but there's also an enemy that resides within. And the Bible describes the second enemy as our flesh. It is our sinful nature. In that sinful nature that every single person, every single son and daughter of Adam is born with this sinful flesh that is at enmity with God. That opposes the things of God. And again, in times of our life where we begin making progress in our Christian lives, again, it is the flesh that draws us away and pulls us back from becoming all that God would have us be. From being fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and growing in sanctification and growing and holiness. And that is why the Bible tells us that we are to mortify the deeds of our flesh. That word mortify is a very graphic word. 
It literally means crucify them. It means to it means to put to death the deeds of the flesh, those sinful desires, that 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 that, that sinful longing, that sinful lusting. The Bible says, mortify it, put it to death, crucify it, because it will destroy you if you don't. So we see there's a, there's an enemy uh, territory we're living in. There's an enemy within, and that is the flesh. But there's also an enemy from outside of us that is seeking to devour us, and that is the enemy uh, called Satan or the devil. And the Bible describes the devil as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. His intention, his motivation is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he will do everything he can to destroy you. If he cannot destroy your soul in hell, which as a Christian he cannot, then he will do everything he can. Again, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he will do everything he can to destroy your relationship with God, your fellowship with God, and your testimony for the Lord of Jesus Christ. You don't think that just because I'm a Christian now doesn't, doesn't mean that Satan is going to oppose me. Doesn't mean that Satan's just going to leave me alone. No, he's not. He is going to strive to destroy the testimony of Christ that I bear within my life. And we understand that because of these great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, that, again, this is a ministry that is needed because these three things are constantly opposing the Christian life. These three things are constantly drawing away disciples from the truth and back into the world or, or back into fleshly living or uh, back into believing devilish lies. All right, so because of this, we see, first of all, the need for spiritual restoration. But secondly, we recognize the need uh, or the ministry of spiritual restoration. Take a look at verse 19 again. The Bible says, if any of you do err from the truth, and then it says, and one convert him. So we see, number one, we see there is a possibility for a believer to err from the truth. But because of that, because of that reality, we recognize Again, that, that there is a necessity for this kind of ministry. There is a necessity for others to come around that believer and to do everything they can to restore their erring brother. Now, don't be confused by the word that is used here. Again, James uses the word of, of, of conversion or, or convert. And oftentimes, again, whenever we hear that word convert or conversion, our minds automatically go to salvation, regeneration. All right? So again, it, it confuses us whenever we read this. But the word convert, what it literally means is to cause to return, to cause to return. And that could apply to an unbeliever returning to fellowship with their creator through faith in Jesus Christ. Or that could, that could also refer to a believer in Christ that is out of fellowship with, with, with his Savior, again, returning to fellowship with his Savior once again. So the word convert simply means to return. And it, it could apply to salvation. It could apply to sanctification. It could apply to the unbeliever getting saved. It could believe to the believer. It could apply to the believer getting right with the Lord and walking in obedience to the Lord once again. Let me give an example of this in Luke 22. Uh, Jesus here is speaking to Simon Peter. Again, I think it's clear that Simon is already a saved uh, man at this point. Uh, verses 31 and 32, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fell not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That's not saying that, that Peter was going to get saved. I mean, finally, right? No, Peter was already a saved man. I think there's, there's much evidence for that. But Jesus knew the temptation that Peter would soon fall under. Peter knew that Peter, or, or Jesus, I should say, knew that Peter 
again, would deny the Lord. But he also knew that that Peter's faith would not fail. He also knew that Peter would repent and that Peter would turn back to the Lord and that Peter would become even greater in his service and greater in his effectiveness to the Lord after his great sin against his master. So Jesus here is speaking to a saved man. He says, when thou art converted, speaking of when when you turn back to the Lord, when you repent, when you get right with me once again. So, again, don't don't let that wording confuse you here. But let's consider this responsibility we have here in James, this ministry we have to restore the erring brother. So the first question I want us to consider is who does this responsibility belong to? All right. Who does this responsibility belong to? Uh, does it only belong to pastors and, and elders within within a church? Although, again, it, it, it would be part of that responsibility. I think that the responsibility is much broader uh, than just pastors. Uh, why do I say that? Because of, of, of Galatians chapter number six, verse number one, which says this. It says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So again, we, we see here that Paul is writing to the believers in, in the region of Galatia, and he speaks about a, a brother being overtaken in a fault. And then he says, ye which are spiritual. All right, so amongst the believers, those believers that are walking closely with the Lord, that are spiritually mature, that are spiritually grounded, those that are spiritually minded, they are to go to the erring brother, they are to go to the brother overtaken in a fault, and they they are to do everything they can to restore that brother, to turn him back to the Lord, to get him uh, off this pathway of drifting, whether doctrinally or morally. And oftentimes when we see people wandering away from God, what is our what is our initial response? Usually it's to ignore it, if we're honest with ourselves. Oftentimes, at least, again, if we don't ignore it, at least we hesitate. I think that that would be true for any one of us. But the question is, why do we hesitate when we see a brother erring into sin or erring into false doctrine? Why do we hesitate to reach out? Why, why do we hesitate to help him? Why do we hesitate to say anything? I think a couple of reasons could be given. I think the first big reason why we hesitate to help an Aryan brother is because of the culture in which we live. We, we live in what has been termed a postmodern culture, and that's not a good thing. I, we, we live in a culture that has denied the reality or denies the, denies the reality of absolute truth. Right? Where again, they say everyone can just believe whatever they want to believe, and you know, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and you can be right, and I can be right at the same time, and we can all end up at the same place. And, and again, we, we, that's, that's the ideology of our world today. There's, there's no absolute truth. Who are you to say that you're right and I'm wrong? Who are you to say that that's right and that's false? We live in a pluralistic society. I think, again, you, you just choose whatever you know, way, way you want to see God and the way you want to go to God. But again, we understand as Christians that that is simply not true. The Bible speaks of the truth. There is one truth. Again, it is the truth that is founded in the word of God, the self-revelation of God. All right, that is the truth. The truth once for all delivered or the faith once for all delivered unto the saints. So, yes, we as believers, yes, we would we would go out into our postmodern world and say, yes, hey, we're over here and we believe in absolute truth. We believe 
that, that, that right is right and wrong is wrong and truth is truth and, and error is error. Again, and sometimes we can feel like we're, we're being pressured by our culture where we don't speak out because we're afraid of what they'll say. Maybe they'll think we're bigoted. You know, maybe they'll think we're narrow-minded. You know, if we say that we believe in absolute truth, but we need to be careful that we don't allow the culture around us to silence us. We live in a day and age when, when you know, more than ever, we need Christians speaking the truth, speaking the truth in love, but speaking the truth of the Word of God. Again, it is the truth of the Word of God that changes lives. It is the truth of the Word of God that sets men free, and we need to be faithful in declaring the truth and speaking truth into people's lives. I think it could be because of the pressures of our culture. I think we could hesitate also because we live in a day and age of spiritual apathy. We live in a day and age of spiritual apathy, especially here in, in, in America. We, we live in a day and age whenever many Christians even have adopted a, a – and I, I don't really care attitude or a whatever attitude. Whatever happens, happens. You know, It's not that big a deal. I don't really care. It's not, it's not the type of, of thinking we ought to have as Christians. You know, if, if I am about to careen off a cliff and I don't know it, I want somebody to tell me. I want somebody to, you know, to do whatever they need to do to, to stop me from careening over a cliff. Again, we can't have just this nonchalant, I don't care attitude. Again, we need to intervene in people's lives. Why, why do we hesitate? Could it be that we hesitate because we don't know what to do, we don't know what to say, we don't know how to handle the situation? We don't know how to lovingly confront another person. You see, not doing anything is the easy path, but it's usually not the right path. I will say this. Again, there is a right way to do this. There is a wrong way uh, to do this. But when loving confrontation becomes necessary, we need to do it biblically, and we need to do it in a spirit of meekness. Galatians 6.1, it says this. Again, it speaks to those, uh, again, if, if a brother is overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore him. The Bible says, Galatians 6.1, uh, says it's to be done in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest, lest thou also be tempted. All right, be careful you know, when you're helping your brother out of the ditch that you don't go into the ditch with him. I right, so be very careful that you go with a spirit of meekness, not a, not, not a, a spirit of pride, All right, but a spirit of humility, knowing who you are. Knowing that if it were not for the grace of God, you would be in the same ditch. Okay, so go in a spirit of meekness. Go very carefully. Go very wisely. Go in a spirit of humility. Another question I want to answer is why do we need to intervene in another believer's life? Or I should say when do we need to intervene in another believer's life? We need to intervene in another believer's life whenever we see them going down a pathway that is, number one, going to harm themselves spiritually. Number two, it's going to harm others, maybe their family spiritually. Or number three is going to harm the church, the testimony of the church, and ultimately the name of Christ uh, because of their decisions. And it is in these times that loving confrontation is not only helpful, but it is biblical. It's not only helpful, but it is biblical. I don't just surround yourself with friends who tell you everything you want to hear. All right, Surround yourself with people who will tell you what you need to hear. We don't like that, though, do we? We like to surround ourselves with people who will tell us what we want to hear. But so often, again, we need true friends who will tell us what we need to hear. Let's continue on, though. Verse number 20. Consider the benefits of spiritual restoration. What happens if I go to my brother who is erring and I, I, I warn him, I admonish him, you know, I, I lovingly confront him about this? 
What happens if he heeds my warning? What happens if he returns to the path of truth, if he turns to the path of, of righteousness? Verse 20 makes it clear. It says, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So the Bible says that if our brother or sister in Christ will heed what we say, they will turn from the error of their way. The Bible says there are two great spiritual benefits that will enter into the life of that brother in Christ. What are these? First of all, and if he or she turns from the error of their way, number one, you shall save a soul from death. You shall save a soul from death. Now, what is this referring to? And the context makes it clear. Again, there, I know there's some commentators who would apply this to soul winning and winning the lost to Christ. But again, I, I, don't, I think again, I think the context is clear. This is speaking about believers here. James refers to brethren. If any of you do err from the truth and one convert him. All right. So, again, I, I think the context here is definitely speaking about believers. But I compare scripture with scripture, and I understand also that a believer in Jesus Christ, again, once he is saved, he can never be spiritually lost or eternally lost again. All right. He is secure in Jesus Christ. All right. He can't he, he can't be plucked out of the father's hand. All right. He is he is a child of God. He is in Christ forever. So if this isn't referring to. You know, eternal death and hell. I mean, the Bible doesn't say you save his soul from hell. It says you save his soul from from death, right? Because a believer is 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 on his path to heaven, and his soul is secure in Jesus Christ. Well, then, what is this death referring to? And I believe the testimony of Scripture makes it clear that what can happen is if a believer in Jesus Christ, a genuine believer in Jesus Christ continues down a pathway, goes down a pathway of willful, again, continual, unrepentant sin, that there comes a certain point, and again, I don't know where, when that point is, and I don't think any of us do, but there comes a certain point when for the sake of his name, God may take that believer home early. And so I believe the reference here is to, again, premature physical death. Again, we're not saying everyone who dies prematurely is, is because of this. Again, that's definitely not what we're saying. But we recognize that a believer can continue down a path, can go down a path of unrepentant sin to the point where, I mean, the, the testimony of Jesus Christ is at stake, where God just says, come home. Again, instead of allowing him to live longer. I think we see an example of this within the book of Corinth, the church at Corinth, where you had believers in Jesus Christ. Again, they were not dealing with open sin in the congregation. Right, they were just letting it, you know, you know just just happen and you know they weren't dealing with it like they should have and also the bible makes it clear that the believers in corinth were also partaking of the lord's supper unworthily right in a way that wasn't honoring to god and the bible says in first corinthians eleven twenty, 20 it says for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep doesn't doesn't mean they're dozing during the service all right it means they died Right, they were they physically died all right because they they partook of the Lord's Supper unworthily Wow again I think this was a continual thing I think this was something where again sin had the leaven of sin had just filled the ranks in the church at Corinth and you know God was calling them back to a place of repentance and uh, again there was there was chastening in the life of believers because they weren't dealing with sin like they should have been dealing with all right, so again, I think what this verse is teaching us here is if a, if a spiritually minded brother sees an, an erring brother wandering from the truth, 
He lovingly confronts him with the truth. That brother in Christ turns from the error of his way. Through that, he may have just extended his usefulness for the Lord. He may have just extended his usefulness from the Lord and prevented himself from going down a pathway that leads to what the Bible refers to as the sin unto death. Again, I, I think that this helps us understand it too. In 1 John 5, uh, chapter number 16, the Bible says this. It says here, it says, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. But notice here it says, There is a sin unto death. And I do not say that he shall pray for it. All right, again, there's a lot of debate about what is this referring to? What is this sin unto death? But clearly there is a sin unto death. And could this be what James is speaking about here? I I, I believe it could be. All right, again, we we see somebody who is saved from, again, if if this is what it's referring to, this sin unto death. the, The chastening hand of God being brought into that believer's life where God brings them home early because... Again, they're, they're in this willful, continual pattern of unrepentant sin. And God deals with his children, and God chases his children because he loves us. But God will also take a believer home for the sake of, of his testimony, for the sake of his name. So you save a soul from death. You also, secondly, if, if he or she turns from the error of their way, you also, the Bible says, you shall hide a multitude of sins. We're back in James uh, chapter 5, verse number 20. All right, so we find here that if the Aryan brother heeds the truth— I listens to what you have to say. They they turn from the error of their way. Again, guess what happens? And as he confesses and as he forsakes his sin, the Bible makes it clear that he shall receive mercy from God. The Bible is clear that those who cover their sin shall not prosper. But the one that confesses and forsakes his sin, that is the one that shall find mercy. God extends mercy to the repentant sinner. God God extends mercy to the repentant believer in Jesus Christ. And sins confessed means sins forgiven. And multitude of sins. 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So a very simple truth here this morning. A very good reminder for us. Just two verses. But it's a reminder, again, that every single one of us have this responsibility. If we are walking with the Lord, if we are seeking the Lord like we need to, and we look out and we see another brother or sister in Christ that is erring from the truth, whether doctrinally, morally, it is not only you know, good of us to intervene, but I believe it's, it's biblically our responsibility to intervene. And not, not in a harsh way, but in, in a way that is loving, in a way that, you know, is, again, you want to see this, this believer restored. You want to see this believer, you know, just spiritually prosper. You want to see the mercy of God within this believer's life. And therefore, out of love for him and out of love for God and out of love for the testimony of Jesus Christ, you intervene in this believer's life. And again, you, you, you admonish him. You know, you, you warn him. You point him back to the truth. And the Bible says that that believer in Jesus Christ will heed your words, will turn from the way. You may have just saved their soul. You may have just saved them from, from the chasing hand of God. But also, again, you, you, you also hide a multitude of sins, again, as they seek and, and, and find forgiveness in, in their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you a couple of things 
this afternoon in closing. Number one, are we faithfully looking out for wandering sheep? Are we faithfully looking out for wandering sheep? Are, are we praying for and going to those that are erring from the truth and lovingly calling them back to the path of truth? Then that's one of the blessings of a church. You know, I, I need that in my life. And again, if, 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 if you understand the, the, again a healthy church, again, you'll see the, the need for that in your life too. Again, we need other believers. We need the community of the church, not only for the sake of edification, but also for the sake of accountability. We help each other. You know, we, whenever we see our, our brother heir, we go to him and we, we bring him back to the pathway of truth. And that is the loving thing to do. Again, if it, it, it's, the, it's the most loving thing to do. Is this an easy ministry? No, it is not an easy ministry. Is it a needed ministry? You better believe it. It is a needed ministry. Are you willing to take up the ministry of restoration? But also, on the other hand, again, are you also guarding your own life so that you don't end up being the one that needs to be restored? All right, so again, it works both ways. All right, and if you're walking with the Lord, if, if your walk is what it needs to be, I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but I'm talking about you know, daily confessing sin, walking with the Lord, you know, seeking the Lord, spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, being faithful to church, doing all these things that, that make up the Christian life. If you're doing these things and you see a brother err from the truth, again, are you willing to step out of your comfort zone? And are you willing to lovingly confront him with the truth for his sake, but also for the Lord's sake and the sake of his name? But on the other hand, again, this works both ways. You can watch your own life. Now judge yourself. Examine yourself. And make sure that your life is what it needs to be. Because you don't want to be the believer in the ditch. All right? Any one of us could be that. All right? Again, but you want to take steps now. You want to be intentional. You want to be on guard so that you don't end up being that one that needs to be restored. And how do we avoid that? And many different things could be said. Again, we could avoid that by spending time in the Word of God. We avoid that by being people of prayer. We avoid that by, by being faithful to the Lord, by doing what he has commanded us to do. Again, and not doing the things he has commanded us not to do. Again, we do that by cultivating a close walk with God. Again, we do that by being filled with the Spirit of God. All right. So again, many, many different ways, many different means whereby we can be on guard against sin within within our own lives, so that we don't end up being the brother that needs to be restored. Verse number 19, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. And God, we thank you for the truth that you've given us in your word. And thank you, God, uh, Lord, just uh, for... Uh, the reminder that we have, Lord, just of this very important ministry of restoration. Lord, this is a ministry that I know is not an easy ministry, but it's a ministry that is a needed ministry in our day and age. And uh, Lord, as long as we have this, this sinful flesh, as long as we are in this world, as long as the devil is opposing us, God, we need, uh, Lord, just to watch our own selves and watch our own lives and make sure, Lord, that, we're, that our walk with you is what it needs to be, but also looking out amongst ourselves. And Lord, just... Uh, Lord, just lovingly helping those around us to walk in the truth. Lord, sometimes stepping out of our comfort zones, Lord, and uh, Lord, as we see a brother wandering from, from the truth, God, and just going to that brother and, Lord, just uh, pointing him back to the way of truth. And, God, I pray that we'd be that kind of church. I pray we'd be a church, Lord, where, uh, Lord, we, we have each other's back, Lord. 
God, we help each other. Lord, we're not, we're not, uh, we're pitted against each other, God, but we're of one mind and one of one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And God, that we we help each other, and Lord, we're accountable to one another. And Lord, we see the importance of community. We see the importance of surrounding ourselves with other believers. The Bible says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. And God, I pray that we surround ourselves with wise believers, Lord, who can help us grow. And Lord, who can help us, Lord, just walk in this this, this pilgrim pathway, Lord, as we uh, strive to honor you. Lord, I thank you again for this... uh, this sermon series, Lord, and as we bring it to a close, God, I pray you bless the teaching of your word. I pray you bless the word that has gone forth, and I pray you just continue to use it in the hearts and lives of your people. Lord, for your glory and for your honor, I pray this in Jesus' name.